Well, good morning, City Light. My name is Joe, um, and I serve as one of the pastors here. If you have not yet, go ahead and open your Bibles to Romans chapter 8, verses 28 to 30. Uh, That's where we're going to be today. Um, And if you are listening closely to the uh, passage that Kathy just read, um, you heard that this morning we get to cover a couple of fairly hot-button topics. Um, whether it's uh, uh, how, how bad things happening to us could ever be for our good or predestination. We got, we got two, two hot ones that we're going to be talking about this morning. We got 30 minutes. So we got to get moving. So are you with me? Can you stay with me through this? All right. Well, let's, let's get going. All right. So here's what I know. When you heard that passage this morning, you likely had one of two responses. Uh, the first response uh, when you heard those words, as you're like, oh my goodness, okay, what on earth does this mean? Like, preno, predestine, justify, glorify. Like, I haven't even taken a sip of my coffee yet. This is way too many syllables. Like, I, I need to sit down and think this through. How on earth could this possibly relate to my life? Like, how could this impact me? The other thought, um, uh, and this might be you too, uh, you're not new to this thing. And you've been around for a little while. And so you heard this passage, and you sat back in your seat, and you leaned back, and you said, all right, we're finally getting to it. He's finally going to speak into my theological category, right? Well, regardless of where you're at, there or in between, here's, here's what I hope. I want us to walk away from this text with more than just a theological understanding, but I want us to grow in our ability to trust God. I don't want this morning to be about some uh, slick theological argument that you can take home to your city group, but when you leave this morning, I hope that your capacity to trust in a sovereign and trustworthy God is increased. Amen? And before we jump in, I just want to acknowledge that it's difficult to trust God sometimes, isn't it? Sometimes the circumstances that we're going through in our lives are extremely difficult, and, it's, and we have a very, very hard time seeing how anything good could come of it, right? Like, let's be honest. It's just a tough thing. So the last, um, last several weeks have been pretty difficult for me and my family. Uh, as, as many of you may know, uh, my father passed away about a little over a month ago. Um, but what many of you may not know Um, is that a part of my story was that my parents were divorced when I was younger, and my dad got remarried later in life. And so he had four young kids between the ages of 11 and 14. And so not only did he leave us unexpectedly, he left a loving wife and four very young kids at a very vulnerable time in their lives. And then a couple weeks ago, um, I, I said a few words at a memorial service. Um, of a man that, that I had been meeting with for about the last two years. And, and through the course of our meetings, uh, this man had come to Jesus. He had come to Christ. He had given his life over to him. He had seen some victory um, in, in some really, really tough areas of his life. He was starting to learn to read the Bible, um, and God took him at a very young age. And then yesterday, and this is kind of how these things happen, isn't it? It's not the big things in our life that cause like the roof to come off, but it's the little things, right? We have all these big things, and then something little goes, and, and we just lose it. So yet, that was me yesterday morning. Um, I knew when I was reading this, this passage, something was going to happen this week, and sure enough, yesterday morning was the thing. So I wake up, and uh, I, I look at our thermostat, um, and it's blank. 
doesn't have anything on it. I'm like, okay, this is not great news. So I go down to the furnace, nothing. I turn it on and off, nothing. I'm not super mechanically inclined, but I know enough to know that this is not a good thing. <laughs> go out to the air conditioner, nothing. No spinning, no nothing. I'm like, okay, well, this is good news because it's only been a billion degrees every day for the last seven weeks. And so it was at that point, I wonder if you've been at this point where you just kind of stop and you're like, can it just stop? God, please make it stop. Make all of this just stop. I don't understand what you could potentially be doing in my life right now. And for us, for many of us today, maybe you've been in that same place. Maybe you are in that same place today. Maybe you woke up this morning in that place. You may be struggling to make sense of the trials that you are in, and you're wondering, could there possibly be any actual purpose in the pain that I'm feeling and is going on in my life? And if this is you, listen, I'm really glad you're here today. Really glad you walked through those doors today, because I think God is going to minister to all of us today. I think God is going to use this text to increase our trust and our confidence, not in ourselves, not in our circumstances, but in him, and that there is a purpose, and that there is a plan in everything that he does. And as we move through this passage today, I want that thought to be bouncing around your mind. You can trust God. You can trust God. In fact, turn to your neighbor and tell them, you can trust God. I had fears that none of you would do that, so I'm so happy that you actually turn to each other. And as we walk through this passage, I'm going to have three points uh, this morning. Uh, The first is God's incredible promise, then God's incredible purpose, and lastly, God's incredible plan. So let's go ahead and jump in. The first point is this, God's incredible promise. Even the bad in your life will work out for your good. Even the bad in your life will work out for your good. Look with me at Romans chapter 8, verses 28. Incidentally, this is also the memory verse for this week. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Okay, so maybe this is maybe one of the most well-known promises in all of the Bible, that God will work out good in all things. Wow, what an amazing promise. But the first thing that we have to look at is who is this promise for? Who is he telling this? Who, who gets to be a part and under this promise? And if we look at the text, we see it. It says, for those who love God and are called according to his purposes, for those who love God. God. And so we see it's not for all of humanity. This promise is not for all of humanity. We know that you can study God. You can go and and, and be a part of religious services. You can teach your children about Jesus because you think he is a moral teacher and yet have no affection for God in your heart. But we also know that when Jesus calls us, when he shows his love for us, when the Spirit calls us into relationship with Jesus, that a real affection and a real love develops in our heart towards Jesus. So those who love God are first loved by God, and in return, in their hearts and in their lives, they love God 
themselves. And so who? Who is this promise for? It's for followers of Jesus. For those who have bowed their knee, bowed their will, and given their heart to Christ. And if, if I can be frank this morning, if I can be honest, if that's not you, as, if, as you sit in here this morning, then this promise right now is not for you. If you love God, this promise is very, very good news. But if you don't love God, this really isn't a promise that's full of good news for you. And this is the reason why. You've probably seen this verse on a bumper sticker or, or a coffee cup, right? Or, or a t-shirt or something like that. Well, I think a couple of more appropriate places for this verse would have been on a stress ball or a box of tissues. And the reason for that is, is because this, this promise is not for good circumstances, but a good plan. Let me say that again. This promise is not for good circumstances, but a good plan. Look at this phrase, all things. All things work together for good. All things means all things. Everything. The good, the bad, the routine, the mundane, the exciting, the infuriating, the frustrating, the joyful. All things work together for good. The amazing child that you just brought into the world, uh, that, that boring meeting that you sat in last week that would never end, uh, that, that breakup that you just had that you thought was going to end up in marriage, all things work together for good. And so if that is true, I think next we have to define what's good. What on earth is this good that God is talking about? And, and for that, let's look to Ephesians chapter 1. Verse 11, it'll be on the screen. It says, In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. According to the counsel of his will. God works all things according to his will. So his will is our good, and our good is his will. The best thing for us is not our own will. The best thing for us is God's will for us. My kids would love to eat candy all day and light off fireworks in the house. They would. That's their will. But as their loving parents, my wife and I have a different plan for their lives right now. So we see that God works in all things according to his will, which is the best thing for us. This is why this is good news for the believer, and it's not good news for the unbeliever. Fundamentally, a follower of Christ has said, I see my sin. I see that my plan for my life is absolute garbage, and I need a savior. I need a God. I need someone to take over. An unbeliever simply hasn't done that. They they haven't recognized that about themselves and about God. And so the idea of God coming in and forcing his will on their lives does not seem like good news to them. Our circumstantial good is far too small a thing compared to the good in this promise. Now, the reality is is that bad things happen, right? Every one of you walked through this door knowing this morning that bad things happen. And usually bad things happen in our lives for one of three reasons. The first one is you're an idiot and you make bad decisions. Can we be honest? Can we just throw that out there? That is the first reason that bad things happen. I, and if, if I'm being honest, I'm very well acquainted with that reason. Me and that reason, we have a good relationship. We're working some things out. 
the second reason that bad things happen in our lives because someone directly sins against us. And so we could, we could legitimately and fairly say the bad in my life is because of that person. They sinned against us. The third reason is simply because of the presence of sin and death in the world. So we can't really look around and see, okay, it's someone's fault. These are the bad things that are in, their life, in our lives that we're like, I, it's really nobody's fault. It's you know, that death of a loved one. It's whatever it might be. Um, but, but it's really nobody's fault at all. And so the reality is many times the bad things in our lives are there not because of anything that we've done. We can't explain directly why these things happen, and we kind of drive ourselves crazy trying to figure out why this stuff happened, but we know that it, it causes extreme pain and heartache. And so I just want to acknowledge that. Is that okay? I just want to say there's real pain in this room. There is real pain in this room, and it really hurts. I look out and I see, I see people with, with chronic illnesses that just will not go away, will not loosen their grip. I see people with divorce as a part of their story. I see people who have been subject to pain and abuse and things that, that we can't explain why they happen on this side. And so I don't want to throw a platitude at you. I don't want to lessen your pain, but I want to give the, the appropriate amount of weight to this thing. Your pain is real. It's real. If you're feeling real pain, that doesn't mean something is wrong. But here's the thing. I also want to point you to our real God. Our real God that has a real promise, that he has a real purpose to work whatever it is in your life for your ultimate good. And let me too, before we move on, if I can just speak to some of you. I know there's some of you in this room that are ready to throw in the towel. You're ready. You're, you're, you're ready to throw your hands up. You're ready to throw in the towel. You're ready to file for that divorce. You're ready to just go back, back into that addiction. You're ready to give up on God. You're saying, I've tried the God thing and it ain't working out. I, 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 I can't do this anymore. And if I could, if I could direct your gaze, not to your circumstances, but to this promise. Sometimes all that we have is God's promise. But to be quite honest, I think sometimes the best thing is that all we have is God's promise. Amen? All right. Well, I can't promise that things will, will change soon, but this is the one thing that I can point to, and that is the promise of God in our lives. So next, Paul doesn't leave us wondering what, God, what, what, what uh, God's good in, in our lives is going to look like, but he, he draws back the curtains and he gets specific about the purpose that God is working in our lives. So point two is God's incredible purpose. He is making you more like Jesus. God is incredibly gracious in this next verse to, to draw back the curtain and show us exactly what good um, he is doing and working in our lives but real quick story, have any of you ever been to one of these escape rooms? Have, maybe, yeah, kind of, sort of. So, so they're set up like, um, it's like a big puzzle. You go in this room and they lock you in and there's this big puzzle that you have to figure out to get out. Well, a little while ago, uh, uh, myself and a bunch of the staff at Midtown went to one of these escape rooms um, and for like a team building exercise. So we get into this room um, and it was like the Doom Temple or something. I don't know. It was like a theme room. And so we get in, and there's like uh, hieroglyphics all over the walls. There's all these different colors and symbols and shapes. And, and uh, they put this big uh, clock on the wall that counts down from one hour to stress you the heck out. 
And then as you start digging through this room, you start unearthing like these uh, notes and different things like that. And these notes, like they're, abs- they're super confusing. But in these notes, there's like these patterns and these, these puzzles and different things like that. And if you just line things up the right way, in the right order, in the right amount of time, at the very end, you get this key, pop, you open it, you're done. Now, I will say, because I know all of you are on the edge of your seat right now, we did get out in under an hour. And what I attribute that to is we had more than one graduate of Wayne State College in that room. For the escape room, you need a top-shelf education to, to get out of that. At any rate, I think sometimes we treat the will of God like one of these escape rooms, don't we? If I can just figure out all the pieces to the puzzle, if I can just see all these circumstances in my life and, and line them up just so I can discern the will of God, right? Have you done this? Have you seen someone else do this? It usually goes something like this. Okay, so I just rear-end someone. I totaled my car. I totaled their car. Okay, but what happened was I went to the insurance agent, and the insurance agent was my aunt's neighbor's brother, and my aunt's neighbor's brother got invited to church and, and, and he remembered, because I was wearing my City Light shirt, right? Because I, I wear my City Light shirt. And I was wearing it. He said, hey, I know City Light. Uh, some, my my uh, brother's neighbor invited me to City Light. But here's the thing. He wasn't really interested in going to church. But seeing me reminded him that his son's baseball coach's uncle was going through a rough time in his life. And he, and he remembered, remember, he saw the City Light on my shirt. He remembered, I'm going to invite my, my son's baseball coach's uncle to church because he's going through a rough time. So that is why God made me rear-end that dude. <laughs> but you laugh, but you've done this. I know you have. I know you have. We feel like we need to figure out a puzzle to determine what God is doing in our life, don't we? But this, fortunately is not true. God tells us right here in this verse what he is doing. So if you ever question, what is God doing in my life? Go back to this verse. So let's listen to verse 29 as God pulls back the curtain on the overall purpose of his work in our lives. Chapter 8, verse 29 says this. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. Conform to the image of his son. God is molding us into the image of Jesus. Now, what does that mean? Does that mean that we're all going to grow beards and wear these long tunicky things and wear flip-flops and start speaking in parables? No, you don't have to worry about that. What this is about is our character. God is shaping us to be more like Jesus with our words, with our deeds, with our character, with our emotions, the things that we talk about, our affections, we'll start to be more like Jesus's and less like our old nature. It's that simple. We don't have to overcomplicate things. This is the overall thing that God is doing in our lives. He's going to do many things, many things in our lives, things that we'll never understand or know or comprehend. But the main one, the big one, the huge one that he is doing is conforming us into the image of Jesus. Now look, look at what it says next. It says uh, that in order that he, being Jesus, might be the firstborn among many brothers. What that means is he is first among us. That means that we worship him. That means that we look to him. That means that we trust in him. But remember, this firstborn, it means that there's an inheritance implied, implied too. 
And the inheritance that is implied here is the kingdom of God. In other words, heaven. And so what God is doing in conforming us in the image of Jesus is he is getting us ready for our inheritance, which is in eternity. Do you see that? He is working in your life today to prepare you for eternity. When he conforms you into the image of his son, he is preparing you for a life outside of this one, for a kingdom outside of this one, for all of our hope, all of our, 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 our lives are pointed in that direction. And so everything that happens in our life is meant to form, shape, chisel, bend, and grow us into the perfect image that is Jesus. He might be developing in you perseverance, peace, patience, humility, kindness, self-control, meekness, confidence in him. The characteristics that you see in Jesus in the Bible, God is forming in you. And now the honest truth is if we, if we know our nature, we can usually withstand a little bit more if we know the purpose for which we're going through pain, right? Right? I can stand outside for three hours in 98-degree heat to get into the College World Series to sit next to a 450-pound Arkansas Razorback fan with no shirt on. <laughs> I can do it. I can subject myself to that. However... If I wake up in the morning and I step on a Lego, I ain't right for the rest of the day. I'm not. If we can see the purpose for which we are going through the pain, we can endure so much more because the end is so much bigger. And City Light, can I say that I see these things happening in you all? It is clear to me that God is indeed faithful to this promise in all of you guys. I see a people hum that are humbling themselves, not considering themselves greater than anyone around them. I see a people that, that are giving up their nights and weekends to run a soccer camp, to share the love and grace and hope of Jesus Christ to kids in this neighborhood. I see a people that are giving generously to the mission of God through this church. I see a people that are not bent by the winds of culture, but find their truth and their value in Jesus. Church, for those who love God, he works all things to conform them into the image of Jesus. This is a God we can trust because he has an incredible promise as well as an incredible purpose. Lastly, God has an incredible plan. Look with me at verse 30. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. So the third and final point is this. God's incredible plan. He has chosen you, saved you, and will bring you safely into glory. Now, I know what some of you are thinking right now. You're like, oh, Lord, I just started liking this church I just started kind of enjoying things. And now this dude, he's going to tell me that if I don't believe in predestination, I don't belong here. He's going to tell me if I don't believe the same thing that he believes in predestination, he's going to say, I'm not a Christian. Let me just say, relax, okay? There's a couple, let me put your mind at ease real quick. There's a couple of, 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 of ways that we look at theology. We put them into one of two categories, either close-handed or open-handed. The close-handed category would be things that we would say, yeah, you actually have to believe this to be a Christian. Things like faith in Jesus alone for salvation, 
Things like the gospel, things like God as our creator, the Trinity, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. This is a very small but very important category in which we put theology. The other category is the open-handed category. In this category, we would say we can disagree on everything in this category and still affirm we are brothers and sisters in Christ. If we're honest, this is where a lot of churches have gone wrong, right? A lot of churches have broken up and and are actually against each other because of things in these open-handed categories. Let me give you the freedom to love and consider brothers and sisters in Christ, people that disagree with everything in this open-handed category. Is that okay? And so things in this hand would be things like baptism, communion, end-times theology, predestination belongs in the open-handed category. You may not agree with the things that I'm going to say, but even if we don't agree, I would still affirm we're brothers and sisters in Christ. Amen? We can love each other, cheer each other on, and look forward to seeing each other in eternity, regardless of what we think about these open-handed things. All right? All right. So, But I do believe, and I will say this too, I do believe Uh, that as we unpack this idea of predestination, that it shows our loving and sovereign God's hand in our lives from before we were even born. And for me personally, and for people that, that I have seen around, it drives them to worship and feel even more secure in the hand of God. However, if you, like I said, if you don't subscribe to the same belief, it's okay. It is okay. So let's go ahead and unpack this. Let's look at the sequence here. First, we see he predestined us. Now, all that means is that this plan was predetermined from before we were born. In fact, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4 says that he chose us before the foundations of the world. So before creation even existed, this plan was in place. There was no way that you had any kind of merit that would uh, compel God to choose you. Do you see that? There is no way that you have anything within you or inside of you that would compel God to choose you over your neighbor. It's fully by grace. Fully by grace. Next it says that we were called and justified. Now this happens during our life and we're called by God. And responding to God in faith, we are justified. Now justified, remember, just simply means being made right. So the penalty for our sin is death and separation from God, but the the payment that Christ paid on the cross uh, paid for that penalty. And so in him we are justified. Those sins are no longer counted against us. The penalty of sin no longer awaits us. That's what justified is. Now for me, this happened in college. Um, I was at a conference and an old Husker football coach named Ron Brown was talking about Jesus. He was going hard. And, and he was talking about this ladder and how you could never get to God. And this just spoke to my heart that night. And um, I remember being in that room, feeling like I was the only one in there. The only one this man was talking to. I'm like, man, I need, I need Jesus. And so I prayed that night and I said, God, I'm yours. I give up. Like, I am yours. So that night, what was happening is I was being called by God. I felt that call. He was calling me into relationship with him. And through my faith in him, I was being justified. Do you see that? So next, it says that we are glorified, which will happen when God makes all things new in the new heavens, the new earth, and new bodies. When you hear that word glorified, just simply think of glory. We will be in glory with Jesus. So this is something that will be happening 
in the future. And so what I want us to see in this, um, this expanse here that we just talked about, predestined, called, justified, um, and glorified, is it spreads from eternity past to eternity future. There is no time that is not included. There is no time either well in the past or well into the future that this promise, this plan, has not and will not be in place. And as we look at that, can we just worship the incredibly big God that we serve that would have a plan that has never not existed for us? Last year, my wife Whitney was in Florida uh, for a conference, and while she was there, she decided to grab a wakeboard and go swimming in the Atlantic Ocean, um, which is sometimes not smart for a Nebraska farm girl. Uh, but so she's out there, um, and she's swimming and, and paddling, you know, just having a great time. And um, uh, she notices after a little while, it's kind of hard to go places, right? Like she's uh, trying to swim, and she's really not making it anywhere. She's starting to get tired, but she's like, hey, I got a wakeboard. Like, this is going to be fine. So a few more minutes pass, and then all of a sudden she starts to notice a little bit of commotion on the beach. She sees these sirens. She sees these lights. She hears these sirens. She sees people getting up and looking around, trying to figure out what's going on. So she does the same thing. She's looking around. It's like, oh my goodness, someone's in trouble. Like, I wonder, I wonder what's going on. And then she sees the lifeguard hop down out of the tower and do the slow-mo Baywatch thing. You know, you've done this. <laughs> Jump into the water, and she starts swimming. This, this, this lifeguard does. She's like, I wonder if I can help. I, you know, she's trying to look around, see, is there someone, like, drowning or what's going on? Uh, and so this lifeguard keeps swimming, and Whitney realizes, like, she's coming in her direction. And as she gets closer, she's like, there is nobody between me and this lifeguard. And she turns and she looks. She's like, there's definitely no one out there. This lifeguard was coming for her. What she didn't realize was that she had gotten caught in a current, a riptide, that was about to whisk her out into the Atlantic Ocean. What she also didn't realize is that this lifeguard had been watching her the whole time. Before Whitney even knew she was in danger, this lifeguard had a plan for her rescue. Do you see that? That is a small picture of what our God had in store for us. Before we were ever born, before the earth was spoken into existence, God saw the impending danger, and he had a plan for his children. And if it stopped there, we could just worship right now and just say, what an amazing father we have. But there's actually more better news. More better. That, that'll work. More better news. <laughs> Wayne State English classes, that happens. <laughs> in, in, in the text here, there is much better news. What I want us to look at is that word, those. Those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he justified. Those he justified, he glorified. And what I specifically want you to see, what is absent in that progression, is any word that would signify that somebody doesn't make it through that progression. Do you see that? It doesn't say most. It doesn't say some. It doesn't say the vast majority, but all. Eternity past to eternity future, all of God's children, guess how many he loses? None. Not a single one. He doesn't drop a single one of us. What an amazing God that we worship. So City Light, I hope you see the amazing trust and confidence that we can have in God that works everything to conform us to the perfect image 
of his son, carrying us through from eternity past to eternity future and not losing a single one. And so as we close, um, as a point of application, I wonder, church, would the confidence that God is working all things for our good cause us to take more risks? Is that okay to say? And I'm not talking about skydiving or bungee jumping, although I'm sure those are fun. But risks like loving people who might not love us back. Giving to people who can't give us anything back. Sharing our lives with people who may indeed leave us. Maybe confessing sin that we are afraid to confess, that we've avoided confessing. If we know that God is working all things for our good, would we be unafraid to bear our weaknesses, to confess our sin, and to love others regardless of if they look like us, sound like us, or think like us? And most importantly, would we take risks to share the love of Jesus Christ, his plan for his people to a world that so desperately needs it? And if you're in this room and you're not a follower of Jesus, you'll remember earlier that I said that this is not good news for you yet, and that is true. However, there's one simple but monumental step that can turn this into the best news that you have ever experienced. Romans 3.23, the book that we're studying today, uh, says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's me, that's you, and we fall short of the very purpose that we were created in our sin. And later in Romans chapter 6, verse 23, it says that the penalty or the wages of sin, so what we have earned for our sin is death and separation from God. So we've all sinned, and what we've earned for that sin is death. However, later in that verse, it, it, it opens up the hope because it says this, but the free gift, the gift, that's something we don't deserve. That's something that is freely given to us. The free gift of God is eternal life, through his son, Jesus Christ. Eternal life with him. Penalty is separation from him. The reward is being with him. But here's the thing. It's a gift, right? We don't deserve it. We don't earn it, but we do receive it. Later in Romans, chapter 10, verse 9, it says uh, that those who confess with their mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in their heart that God raised him from the dead will be saved. So if you confess, if you testify with your mouth that Jesus is in fact Lord, he's not a historical figure, he is not a moral teacher, he is God, he is Lord, and believe in your heart. Remember we talked about those who love God, those who have an affection for God. Believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, meaning he is God and there is an eternal reward to be with him forever, then you will be saved. It's that simple. There's no earning there's no 12-step program to get there. It's one step, receiving what has been freely given. So if that's you this morning, if you sit in these seats and you say, I've never done that, but holy cow, that sounds like an amazing thing. In just a second, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to walk through a prayer. And if this morning God is calling you, if he is tugging on your heart, I want you to repeat after me, either out loud or in your heart, it's up to you, this prayer. And I would ask, if that's you this morning and you say that prayer, would you come talk to me or to one of the pastors here or to uh, the prayer team in the back? If that's a little intimidating to you, would you at least fill out a card at the Get Connected table? Just write on there, I accepted Jesus, and we would love to just catch up with you, talk with you, 
um, and, and check in with you. So let's go ahead and pray. Well, Jesus, I recognize that I'm a sinner. And the penalty for that sin is death. And yet, Lord, you give us grace as a gift. If only we would confess with our mouths and believe in our hearts that you are Lord. And so, God, today I do that. I lay down my sin. I lay down the life that I have been living, and I just give myself to you. Lord, my heart is yours. You are my Lord. Thank you for your forgiveness. In your name we pray. Amen. Mm -hmm.